Welcome to the Christ Walk Church Podcast. Good morning, Christ Walk. How's everybody doing today? Week five, we have made it all the way to the end of five dysfunctions of a family. Here we are. We find ourselves week five. If you got your Bibles with you or you're on a smart device, turn with me or swipe with me to um, the book of Ephesians. It's in the New Testament. Your Bible's divided into these two big chunks. You've got the Old Testament, um, which is that first part. And then the second chunk is the New Testament. And so it's divided up into several sections. This is one of Paul's epistles or letters um, Paul wrote, uh, he was an apostle of Jesus. He wrote about half of the New Testament. And today we're going to be um, looking at part of his letter to the church in Ephesus. You guys might remember a couple weeks ago, we talked about Timothy. And Timothy was another guy that Paul wrote to. And he was actually the pastor of the church in Ephesus. And so we're going to dig in a little bit deeper into what Paul was communicating to that church, to that house, and look at what it has to apply to us and our lives and our families today. So as I said, we're in week five. So let's go all the way back to week one and let's recap. In week one, we learned that um, dysfunctional families lack discipline. We found out that daily discipline leads to a lifetime of discipleship. And then in week two, we discussed how dysfunctional families lack proper priorities. And we learned that our priorities determine our purpose. In week three, we discussed how dysfunctional families lack provision, that your family deserves the best of you, not the rest of you. And then in last week, in in part four, we talked about how dysfunctional families lack servanthood and that we can either live to serve ourselves or to serve other people, but we can't have both. And today we're going to take a look as we close out this series at the fact that dysfunctional families lack grace. Dysfunctional families lack grace. So we're going to land in Ephesians in just a moment, but um, Sarah and I, when we moved here, um, we moved here from this little town. Some of you might have heard of it. It's called St. Louis, Missouri. Anybody ever heard of St. Louis, Missouri? Anybody ever been to St. Louis, Missouri? All right, a few hands, a few hands. One of the coolest cities in our country. But back just after the Civil War, it faced some, some potential obstacles, some hurdles that it needed to overcome in order to become the, the growing, um, thriving city that it is today in the Midwest. See, after the Civil War, St. Louis realized that it had a problem. The railroad was expanding, and they discovered that if they didn't do something to correct their problem, then St. Louis was going to get left out as the railroad continued to expand to other parts of the country. And so when we think of, when we think of St. Louis, I mean, it's obvious what the problem is for anybody that's ever been there. Because in order to get there from here, you have to cross this huge body of water called the Mississippi River. And if you've never seen the Mississippi River before, just trust me, it's big. And it is powerful. And man, the water is just churning through there. And so the people in St. Louis, they realize, man, if this is a huge obstacle, and if we can't figure out a way around it, then our city is never going to become what we are desiring for it to be. 
And so for anybody that, that knows anything about St. Louis, uh, a few things come to mind whenever you think of St. Louis. The first one is probably the Gateway Arch that's right there at the, the bank of the Mississippi River. Maybe some of you think of um, Budweiser beer and the Clydesdales, which is something that St. Louis is, is, is very famous for. Or maybe it's St. Louis Cardinals baseball, which is like, um, you know, they would argue as good as it gets that, you know, it doesn't get any better, not even in New York or Boston or any other place, that St. Louis is the epicenter of the baseball world. Um, maybe some of you think of, of, of other things like gooey butter cake or the weirdest pizza that I've ever had. St. Louis pizza, super strange. They use a different cheese. I don't know. It's odd. But the people there are like, you don't like this? I'm like, it's, no, not really. Um, it's not great. Uh, but anyways, maybe those are the things that you think about St. Louis. But none of those things could have happened if it weren't for this other landmark or this other thing that is unique to St. Louis. And, and if, you're, if you've ever been to the arch, you probably saw this, but you never even thought about it. You never even realized. And, and it's, this, it's this marvel, this engineering marvel called the Eads Bridge. And see, um, in 1867, uh, the people of St. Louis, the, 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 the city officials, they came together and they realized if we can't figure out a way to get the railroad across this river, then we are going to be in trouble and we're not going to continue to be able to grow and develop and to become the city that we're all desiring to be. And so naturally they hired an untested, unproven, self-educated engineer by the name of James Buchanan Eads to come in and build this first bridge of its kind. It was the very first bridge in the nation to be built out of steel trussing. It was the very first bridge to use giant granite-faced piers that supported these, these cantilevered arches. And it was the, the first bridge of its kind to use this cantilever construction to support the entire superstructure. It, was, it used pneumatic caissons that were used for the first time in the United States, and they were sunk to an unprecedented depth of 123 feet. And in fact, during the process of building this building, a lot of the divers that they used to go down and, and sink these, um, these caissons and, and drive them into the ground in order to support this structure. They got what is now known as the bins, and many of them lost their lives because of the work they did in constructing this bridge. It was the very first bridge in the United States that carried railway across a river. And because of that bridge, the future of St. Louis was made possible. And it is now the great city that we know today because of the forward thinking of this untested, unproven, self-educated engineer, James Buchanan Eads. See, he saw that river as an obstacle, but it would have been very easy for him to say, uh, let's just stay on this side of the river. You know, maybe, maybe instead of St. Louis, maybe we just put you know, another city over here, and we try to build that one. No, instead, he saw the obstacle, but he built a bridge over it so that the desired future, the, the hoped-for outcome could be attainable. And see, we all have a desired future in our family, 
Each and every one of us, we have, we have dreams and hopes and thoughts of what we would like our family to be, what we would like our, our marriages to be like, what we would like our, our kids to grow up and do and become. But there are obstacles that are in our way in order to achieve that desired future in our families, in our marriages, with our children. See, nobody stands at the altar getting ready to get married and thinks, you know, in seven years, I hope this thing goes down in flames and we get a divorce. Nobody thinks that. Nobody sits in the delivery room. No husband sits in the delivery room as his wife is giving birth to a child and thinks, you know, I hope he grows up to be totally rebellious and alienate himself from us. You know, nobody, nobody says that, right? We don't, we don't do that. See, often the, the things, things arise, they, they come up in, in our families and in our marriages and, and, and when we raise our kids, that, that these obstacles arise, that they stand in the way of us and the desired future that we are hoping for. But oftentimes, when things don't go according to our plans and when those obstacles arise, we tend to build barriers rather than build bridges. We erect walls around ourselves. We, we isolate ourselves from those that we once claimed to, to know and love the most and care about the most. And we end up ostracizing our own family members and, and we push them away and we drive them away and we say, you stay on your side and I'm going to stay on my side. And we claim that that has fixed the problem. But what happens is, is that when we build barriers instead of bridges, we destroy the opportunity for our relationships to reach the desired future that we once had for them. And the key to this, and the thing that we want to talk about today, is this word grace. The key to building bridges rather than barriers is grace. And grace is defined this way. It is freely given, unmerited, that means undeserved, freely given, unmerited favor and love. And particularly, the freely given and unmerited favor and love of God that has been modeled for us that we then extend to the world around us. And so the big idea for today that, that I'm working off of, the, the thought that I had as I was reading this passage and as I was studying for this, this message and, and to, to underscore this, this fact that dysfunctional families lack grace is simply this. Grace builds bridges, not barriers. Grace builds bridges, not barriers. The unmerited favor and love of God builds bridges bridges. It doesn't erect walls. It doesn't say you stay on your side and I'll stay on mine. It opens up the gates wide for us to have connectivity with one another. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So let's jump in to uh, Ephesians 5, if you will, Ephesians 5. Now, Paul is writing here to the church in Ephesus, and he is talking about specifically the Christian family, and he's giving some guidelines out for how the Christian family is supposed to behave, how they're supposed to, to work and operate and, and function together, how, how the Christian family can be functional instead of dysfunctional. And so for our purposes today, we're going to be looking at 
the Christian family, those that are following Christ. Hey, if you're not a Christ follower, look, this is a place that you don't have to believe to belong. So we're glad that you're here. But for our purposes today, we're talking about families that are following after Christ. And I just happen to think that this is the best way to live your life in pursuit of Jesus Christ. And I believe that families function better whenever they are united together in their pursuit of Jesus. And so that's the lens through which we are going to be looking at this today. So Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus and And in terms of the Christian family, he starts to hand out some different roles. And along with those roles, he he gives each role a responsibility. And then with each of those responsibility, he gives a reason for that responsibility. So let's jump in together today, starting in Ephesians 5, verse 21. Ephesians 5, verse 21. Yield to obey each other as you would to Christ. Some of your translations might use the word submit to one another as you would to Christ. All right. And so Paul then hands out his first role. He says in verse 22, wives, that's the first role, wives. And then he gives the first responsibility. He says, wives, yield to your husbands as you do to the Lord. And then in verse 23, he gives the reason. He says, wives, you need to yield or submit to your husband as you do to the Lord. And here's the reason. Because the husband is the head of the wife. The husband is the overseer of the wife. He is the protector of the wife. He is the guide of the wife. And this is how it was established all the way back from the very beginning in Genesis. All right, the wife was taken from the the rib of Adam. And so the wife was supposed to be there um, by his side, close to his heart for him to be loved and for her to be loved and cherished and and watched over um, by her husband. All right, but she was below or was supposed to submit to the head who is the husband. It was the way that it was designed for the Christian family from the very beginning. So wives, yield to your husband as you do to the Lord because the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. And he is the savior of the body, which is the church. Verse 24, as the church yields to Christ, so wives should yield or submit to your husbands in everything. And I know a lot of us guys, we like to quote that passage and we like to just stop right there. Submit, woman, you know, like, but... Paul continues on. All right, there's actually more verses in this chapter. So before, fellas, you get up on your high horse a little bit, you need to know that there's also a role and a responsibility and a reason for you as well. And so Paul continues that in verse 25. He says, husbands, that's you guys, love your wives. Here's the responsibility. Love your wives as Christ Love the church and gave himself for it. Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. To make it belong to God. Christ used the word to make the church clean by washing it with water. 
He died so that he could give the church to himself like a bride in all of her beauty. He died so that the church could be pure and without fault, with no evil or sin or any other wrong thing in it. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as they love their own bodies. Here's the thing. Did you realize, husbands, that by loving your wife in this way, you make her better? You make her more beautiful. You make her more attractive, more appealing. You make her better at being a wife and a mother because of your love for her. Because of Christ's love for the church, the church is made better. In the same way, husbands, when we love our wives, we make them better. And here is the reason. The man who loves his wife loves himself. The man who loves his wife loves himself. Verse 29, no one ever hates his own body, but feeds and takes care of it. And that is what Christ does for the church, because we are parts of his body. The scripture says, this is a quote from Genesis, so a man will leave his father and mother and be united with his wife, and the two will become one body or one flesh. That is through the consummation of the marriage covenant, the two become one flesh. Verse 32, that secret is very important. I am talking about Christ and the church, but each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself. And a wife must respect her husband. Husbands, when you don't love your wife, you're not just hurting her. You are hurting yourself because the two of you are now one flesh. And in marriage, you are united together through the covenant of godly marriage. When you don't love your wife appropriately, the way that Christ loved the church, that he gave himself for, he sacrificed himself for its benefit. When you don't love her in that way, you're not just hurting her, you're hurting yourself. Because she is now part of you and the two have become one. And guess what? Husbands, if you want your wife to be submissive to you, who would not want to be submissive to the kind of love that Jesus Christ offers? So if you are loving your wife appropriately, she will have no problem with being submissive to you. It will be easy and it will become mutual. She will submit and you will want to love her because of it. And because of the way that you love her in the way that Christ loved the church, she will want to submit and it will work together in unity the way that it was designed for husbands to love their wives and for wives to submit to their husbands. Paul wraps this around now into the next chapter and we get into um, Ephesians chapter six. And I can remember when, when Sarah was pregnant with both Luke and Avery, I would come up to her big pregnant belly and I would lay my hands on it and I would feel my babies and they're moving around, particularly Avery. I think she had like Mountain Dew in the womb or something. She was always going crazy. And if you've ever been around her for any, any amount of time, 
time, you'll understand she's, she's our wild child. Luke is really subdued and kind of laid back and everything. But I can remember um, the entire time that Sarah was pregnant. I would lay my hands on her stomach and I would just proclaim this verse over her, over her baby belly. Ephesians 6.1, children, obey your parents as the Lord wants because this is the right thing to do. Children, you have a role in the family, all right? You have a place in the family. You are included in the family. So there's some kids here. I'm talking to you right now. Teenagers, younger kids, whatever. You have a role in your family. Children are included. And, and then you also have a responsibility. Here's the responsibility. Obey your parents as the Lord wants. And then there's a reason. The reason is because this is the right thing to do. Do it because it's right. That's what you're supposed to do. Paul goes on to say, he says, the command says, honor your father and mother. Obviously talking about the Ten Commandments. And he says, this is the first command that has a promise with it. Here's the promise or the extension of the reason for you to be obedient to your parents. It says, then everything will be well with you and you will have a long life on the earth. And I read that and I think, you know, the reason that's true, I believe, is because for children that aren't obedient, they kind of take the stance of, you know, parents kind of take the stance like, I brought you into this world, and if you don't straighten up, I might take you out of it too. You know what I'm saying? So as long as you obey your parents, you don't have to worry about that. Your life will be long upon this earth, and everything will be well with you. I always took that to mean when I was growing up, like if I obeyed my parents, the reason things would be well with me is because I wouldn't get a butt whooping. And I don't know about you, but not getting a butt whooping makes things a whole lot better than getting a butt whooping, you know? And so if you obey your parents simply because it is right, I mean, things are going to go your way. They're going to go your way. You're going to be blessed because of it. And your life on this earth will be, will be long and fruitful and fulfilling. If kids, you will step up and be responsible to obey your parents simply because as a Christian, it's the right thing to do. It's the only reason you need. Do it because it's right. Forget about the, but I just. No. Just do it because it's right. Your parent isn't concerned about what you're thinking or the reason that you were doing X, Y, Z. Just be obedient because it's right. That's what you need to do. It's really quiet in here right now. <laughs> I thought I would get way more amens from the parents. The kids are disappointed. <laughs> but kids, you're in luck because he doesn't just stop there. He continues on into verse 4. And Paul writes, fathers, or in our case for today, maybe we could read parents. Do not make your children angry, but raise them with the training and teaching of the Lord. Parents, that's your role. Your responsibility is to raise your children with the training and teaching of the Lord. And the result here is one that is implied. We've talked about it before. The result here is that disciples make 
disciples. All right? Sheep make sheep. You know? Sheep make sheep. Disciples make disciples. Humans make humans. Like, that's how it works. Like, we don't make something that we are not. You know, like, dogs are not giving birth to chickens. Like, that would be weird. You know, so we create, we produce the same thing that we are. So parents, if you don't like what your kids are doing, first thing you need to do is look in the mirror because you produce what you are. Disciples make disciples and your role as a Christian parent, your responsibility as a Christian parent is not to raise a straight A student. It's not to raise an all-star athlete. It is to raise a disciple of Jesus Christ. And if that is not what you are getting, the first step should be to take a long, hard look at yourself because disciples make disciples. That's what it's all about. So we have a responsibility in that way. But here is, here's the deal. Jesus, he modeled all of this for us by loving us when we didn't deserve it. He lavished us with, with his grace instead of guilt. Jesus built a bridge with his cross so that we could realize the desired result that we want, which is eternal life with him in heaven. Jesus modeled all of this and he made all of this possible. And through his love for us and for the church, he showed the way and he sacrificed himself for us so that then we could, as, as husbands and wives and children and parents, we could follow in that pattern and we could have this same kind of thing in our relationships with our family. But here's the problem. Unless you're married to Sarah Snap, you do not have the perfect spouse. That's the problem. So everybody else, sorry, I got her. You know, so unless you're married to my wife, you don't have a perfect spouse. Is that how you wanted me to say that? So the way I'm supposed to communicate that clearly. There are no perfect spouses. There are no perfect parents. There are no perfect children. Sorry, Luke. It's just, it doesn't exist. And, and what happens is, is, is we kind of deceive ourselves. And I believe we set our expectations way too high. You know, we're like running on emotions and everything on that wedding day. And we're looking at her in her dress and we're thinking, this is going to be great. And it is up to a point. And then, you know, you realize that they have morning breath and that their hair isn't, you know, all put together like when they wake up and, you know, they don't wake up with their face all, you know, made up and everything. And, and you know, you, you start living together and you realize we might have some issues. I don't know. I don't know about this. Or you bring that baby into the world and like, you know, you're, oh man, they're just perfect. And you're loving on them and everything. And then bleh, they just spit up right in your face. And for a moment you thought this couldn't get any better until they spit up on you and you had your mouth open and like some of their stuff gets, and then you realize we might have some issues. 
or you go to change that first diaper and you're like, how can something so small produce something so large and nasty? We may have some issues. The way that we solve these issues is very simple. It's through grace. It's through grace because grace builds bridges, not barriers. So how do we do this? How do we build these bridges that grace affords us? Let me give you three things. If you're taking notes, write these down. Three things. First one is we've got to assume the best. We've got to assume the best. That means that in any relationship, you just assume, hey, that person wants this thing to work as much as I want this thing to work. And so if you can start from that plane, from that ground level, then you can begin to work on your relationship in a healthy, proactive way. And that might look something like this. Need a ride, Matt? No, my dad's coming. At least he better be. Can I ask you straight with you for a minute? Sure. I feel like you owe your dad more respect. Why? Because he's your father. You don't know him like I know him. I don't have to know him. You need to respect him because it's the right thing to do. You know, Coach, my dad doesn't even like you. He thinks the school needs to find somebody else. That's beside the point. Scripture says to honor your parents, and all you do is complain. All he does is boss me around. He doesn't even try to understand me. Matt, you can't judge your father by his actions and then judge yourself by your intentions. It doesn't work that way. You're not responsible for him, you're responsible for you. You honor God by honoring your authority. You really believe in all that honoring God and follow Jesus stuff? Yes, I do. <laughs> well, I ain't trying to be disrespectful. But not everybody believes in that. Religion works for some people, but I'm just here because I got kicked out of Westview. Matt, nobody's forcing anything on you. Following Jesus Christ is the decision you're going to have to make for yourself. You may not want to accept it, because he'll change your life. You'll never be the same. I do hope one day you realize how much he loves you. I'll see you tomorrow. You know, I love that line that he says in there. Because if we're going to assume the best about those we are in relationships with, then we can't judge them by their actions while judging ourselves by our intentions. See, oftentimes in relationships when, when there's, there's an impasse, there's a, the, a rift, we start to play the blame game. We start to point fingers at the other person, but we got to realize that there's no win in playing the blame game. There's no win in judging others by the things they do and then looking at ourselves by the things that we intend to do. So there's a question that we've got to ask ourselves when we're assuming, in, in order to assume the best in our relationships, and it's simply this, am I extending grace or am I extending guilt? Am I extending grace or am I extending guilt? Because assuming the best means we come to the table and we extend grace. It says, you want what's best for this, I want what's best for this. Let's figure out a way to meet in the middle, to compromise and make this thing work. So number one, assume the best. Number two, if we're going to build a bridge of grace in our relationships, number two, we got to change our behavior. 
change our behavior. What that means is you need to start acting like the kind of spouse that you want to be married to. It means that you need to start acting like the kind of parent you would want to have as a child. It means, kids, you need to start acting like the kind of child you would want if you were a parent. we got to put ourselves in the other person's shoes and consider how it's affecting them. We've got to see things from their perspective. We need to ask ourselves the question, will the behavior I'm displaying right now lead to the result that I am desiring for my future in this relationship? Will the behavior that I'm displaying right now end up, will it get us to where I'm desiring for this relationship to be? Or do I need to change? Am I being the kind of spouse that I want to be married to? Am I being the kind of parent that as a kid that I would have wanted to listen to and be obedient to? Change your behavior. Assume the best, change your behavior. The third one, make the first move. It's not enough just to assume the best. It's not enough just to change your behavior, but you've got to make the first move. A lot of us are willing, but we're waiting on the other person because we don't want to put ourselves out there and be left hanging. And a lot of relationships have been severed. A lot of families have been laid waste and left in ruin simply because the two people on the opposite side of the rift are just too stubborn to do anything about it. And none of them, neither of them, would extend the handshake first. I read a story this week about these two brothers who lived on adjoining farms, and one day they fell into conflict. It was the first serious rift that they'd had in 40 years of farming side by side. They shared machinery. They traded labor and goods. All of that was done without a hitch for 40 years. But then the long collaboration fell apart. It, it began with a small misunderstanding, and it grew into a major indifference. And finally... It exploded into an exchange of bitter words followed by weeks and weeks of silence. And one morning there was a knock on the older brother's door and he opened it to find a man with a carpenter's toolbox. I'm looking for a few days work, the carpenter said. Perhaps you would have a few small jobs here and there that I could help you with. Yes, said the older brother, I do have a job for you. Look across the creek at that farm. That's my neighbor. In fact, that's my younger brother. Last week, there was a meadow between us, and he took his bulldozer to the river levee, and now there is a creek in between us. Well, he may have done this despite me, but I'll do one to get him even better. You see that pile of lumber that's curing over there by the barn? I want you to build me an eight-foot fence so I won't have to look at his place anymore, and maybe that'll cool him down a little bit. The carpenter said, I think I understand the situation. Show me the nails and the post hole diggers and I'd be obliged to help you out. So the older brother showed him the equipment, got him set up for work for the day and then went into town to go about his business. The carpenter worked hard all that day measuring and sawing and nailing and about sunset when the farmer returned from town, the carpenter was just about finished with his job. The farmer's eyes opened wide and his jaw dropped because he realized that there was no fence 
that had been built at all. But instead, it was a bridge stretching from one side of the creek to the other. It was a fine piece of work with handrails. And the, the neighbor, his younger brother, was coming across with his hand outstretched. He said, you're quite a fellow to build a bridge after all that I've said and done. The two brothers met in the middle of the bridge, taking each other's hand. They turned to the carpenter, see him hoist his toolbox over his shoulder. No, wait, they said, stay a few more days. We've got several other projects for you. The carpenter said, I'd love to stay on, but I've got so many more bridges to build. Grace builds bridges. It doesn't create barriers. What might happen if we began to live this way? If we started to assume the best about others that we are in relationship with, if we began to change our behavior to be the spouse or the parent or the child that we would like to have, if we took the first step and made the first move in making amends, what might happen if we began to extend grace to those people in our families and build bridges rather than create barriers? This is what I believe. I believe that if we started to assume the best, if we chose to live as the person that we would like to have on the other side of the relationship, if, if we decided to make the first move waiting on other people, then I believe that there would be healing in the broken areas of our current relationships. I believe that marriages that have been severed would come back together. I believe kids that haven't talked to their parents in years would come home and that there would be healing to take place. I believe that, that there would be stronger future relationships ahead of us, that we truly could have the best marriage ever, that we truly could have the best kids ever because all of that is possible when viewed through the lens of God's grace at work in our relationships I believe that if we would live this way, that we could reach the desired destination of having the family that we've always dreamed of and that our lives could be healthy and fulfilling and life-giving. But it all starts with us being willing to make the first move and live our relationships the way that Christ has outlined for us. That's what it means to be a part of a functional family. That above all else, we extend grace. Because grace builds bridges, not barriers. That same grace that I'm talking about has been extended to you and me today through the work that Jesus did on the cross. He built a bridge that covers us with his grace. He made a way for our relationship with God the Father that has been severed because of our sin. He built a bridge of grace for us to walk across. And if you would like to accept that grace today, it's as simple as A, B, C. A, you gotta admit that you're a sinner in need of God's forgiveness. B, you've got to believe in Jesus Christ as God's son, that he died and was resurrected on the third day to defeat death, hell, and the grave. And then see, you choose to surrender your life to Jesus and to live for him. If you'd like to do that today, 
and enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ to start your journey as a Christ follower, then I wanna ask you to pray this prayer that's on the screen behind me. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I admit that I'm a sinner and that I'm lost without you. I believe that Christ died in my place, making a way for us to have a relationship. I choose to follow Jesus and his way for the rest of my life. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Christ Walk Podcast. For more information about Christ Walk Church, please visit thechristwalk.com.